Grateful to be here with you guys uh, this morning. If we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Jason, and it's a privilege for me to be one of the pastors here at Two Rivers Church. So um, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Daniel. In the Old Testament, we are working through this book. Uh, it's been an amazing journey over the last few weeks. I'm super excited to continue this journey, kind of chapter by chapter each week. We'll wrap the series kind of at the end of January, but we're going to be in Daniel chapter 8 this morning, and um, I'm excited to spend these moments with you guys. It's been an encouraging uh, week for me in preparation for this morning, and I'm excited to teach uh, this morning. Let me start before we get to Daniel chapter 8 by pulling up this um, uh, slide that we looked at last week uh, of Daniel 7, because the imagery in, hold on a second. I don't have my thing on. I apologize, everybody. I do this every week. There we go. I wanted to pull this imagery up for just a moment as a reminder from last week. And so if you missed last week, this will catch you up to speed because the symbolism changes today. We're talking, we're in apocalyptic literature. We're in end times literature. We're in Daniel uh, uh, sharing with us these uh, prophetic dreams that he was having. And this was uh, his first vision from last a week, chapter seven, and he had this vision of these four kind of wild, crazy animals about the four kingdoms that were coming. And so as a reminder, the lion with eagle's wings is the Babylonian empire. That was the empire that came into Jerusalem um, and actually enslaved Daniel and his three friends. And uh, then the next empire that took over that, uh, that took over from the Babylonian Empire is the Medo-Persian Empire, and that's represented by the bear. And then there's this leopard, this swiftness of a leopard, uh, Alexander the Great and the Greek Empire. And then this beast, this random beast with 10 horns was some type of uh, revived uh, Roman Empire that is still future to us. And so uh, if you missed last week, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that. Um, that is last week. The reason why I wanted to bring those uh, four animals back up, those images back up, is because in the second vision uh, that we're looking at today, what happens is that Daniel's vision ends up zooming in on two of those four kingdoms. And so in chapter eight today, we're looking at the Medo-Persian empire, and we're looking at the Greek empire. And what's interesting uh, about this uh, is that uh, these 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 prophetic dreams that Daniel was having, we need to remember that all of this was future for him. Everything that we uh, were talking about uh, today was future for Daniel as he was having, uh, as having these uh, visions. And now as we look back on, on history, we see the fulfillment of uh, what we're talking about today happened 400 years after Daniel had these dreams. So it's pretty remarkable. I think it is an opportunity for us to uh, be encouraged and strengthened in scripture and in the, in the fulfillment of prophecy in scripture. But as a context, just remember that what Daniel had this vision of what we're talking about today, these things didn't unfold until 400 years later. And now we look back on history and we can see how all of these things uh, became true. Um, the next picture is the, sim is the symbolic change that's happening today. Uh, so the animals in the visions change, you know, like God's given him vision and the animals change. And so um, the animals are these. Uh, the, the ram is the Medo-Persian empire and it's, uh, it's significant in that it had one uh, horn that was longer than the other. And that represents that Persia of the Medo-Persian empire became more prominent and more powerful uh, than the Medo-Persian. 
side, the mead side of it. And so the ram had those two different uh, size horns. Uh, and in the Greek empire is represented by the goat who had this unicorn. And the unicorn represents Alexander the Great. Uh, many of us studied Alexander the Great in world history. Uh, he ruled from 334 to 331 BC. So uh, that's the imagery, those two animals, that's what we're gonna be talking about. And instead of, it's kind of a long chapter, so I'm not gonna read all of the verses of the chapter, but I wanna summarize kind of the first 14 verses with you for a bit. Uh, this is the actual vision. So I'm gonna summarize the vision and then we'll read together. Uh, God sends Gabriel, the same Gabriel that came to Mary uh, in Luke chapter one and two. He sends Gabriel to interpret the dream for, uh, for Daniel. And then at the end, I'm gonna make, I'm, gonna, I'm just so you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna teach for a little bit and then at the end, I'm gonna start preaching. So just so you guys are aware of that. So I'm gonna teach for a little bit and then I'm gonna preach. You guys ready for that? Uh, so I just want you to be prepared for that uh, when that when that comes. Um, so here, here's the summary. Uh, Daniel, he sees himself uh, in the chief city of the Medo-Persian Empire in his dream, okay? He sees himself in the Medo-Persian Empire. Now, he is still in the Babylonian Empire, so this is future to him, but he's seeing him, himself in a place called Susa. Uh, and uh, Susa was about 250 miles to the east of Babylon. We talked about this last week. Uh, the ancient city of Babylon is in uh, modern day Iraq. And he sees himself 250 miles east of there in the ancient city of Susa, which is modern day Iran. And there was this canal that was in the city. And he's at that canal and he sees this ram, the, the ram with the one horn that's longer than the other. And the ram is charging north and west and south. And remember the, the ram is the Medo-Persian empire. This is uh, how Daniel sees the ram. Verse four in chapter eight, no animal could stand against him and none could rescue from his power. He did, speaking of the Medo-Persian empire, speaking of the ram, he did as he pleased. I would encourage you to underline that phrase if you're following along in the scripture. He did whatever he pleased and he became great. And then in this vision from the West, and remember Greece is West. Uh, you have Israel right on the Mediterranean Sea and then Iraq is East of there and then Iran. But to the West, uh, on the north side of the Mediterranean Sea is Greece. And so he sees from the west where Greece is, this goat with this horn coming at, at this canal uh, in the ancient city of Susa, uh, waging war against this ram. And the, and the goat was moving super fast. As you read the story later, if you go home and read the story later, and I would encourage you to, uh, the vision was the goat was crossing the entire earth uh, without even touching the ground. Um, history reveals that Alexander the Great had an army of uh, 35,000 soldiers. And in a mere three years, when the Greek empire began to take over that entirety of the world, uh, he conquered Alexander the Great and his armies. He conquered Asia Minor, Syria, Egypt, and Mesopotamia in three years. And now Medo-Persia would be next in his conquest. 
Uh, And so Daniel sees the goat fiercely attacking the ram and shatters the two horns, which is the reality of what happened in history. Uh, The Greek empire overtook and put an end to the Medo-Persian empire, just like the Medo-Persian empire put an end to the Babylonian empire. Now the Greek empire empire is putting an end to the Medo-Persian empire. Uh, Now speaking in verse 8 of the Greek empire, it says, the goat became very great. But at the height of its power, the large horn was broken off, and in its place, four prominent horns grew up toward the four winds of heaven. Uh, We know from history uh, that right at the height of his power, Alexander the Great died at age 32, and his kingdom was divided into fourths. And so his four generals uh, took over four different regions, if you will, of the vast empire when Alexander the Great died. And this is where the vision turns really bad for Israel and the Jews. When Alexander the Great died and four generals took over, this is when things uh, got really um, uh, wild and, and hard for the Jewish people. There was this little horn Uh, this fifth horn that raised up out of the region of Greece. Uh, Again, 400 years after this vision, after Daniel had this vision, all these things are actually taking place. And he sees this little horn coming up, a fifth horn in this vision. Uh, And the little horn came and the name of the person uh, was Antiochus Epiphanes. And he was a, a cruel persecutor of the Jews. Uh, one of the commentators that I read this week speaking about uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, it said this about him. He was the diabolical forerunner of the Antichrist. He was the diabolical forerunner of the Antichrist. And he took away uh, the daily sacrifices in the temple. He was, he was the one that was coming down into Israel. He was seeking to totally annihilate the Jewish faith altogether. This is verse 12 in chapter 8. This little horn, uh, speaking of Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, prospered in everything he did or everything it did, the goat and the little horn, prospered in everything it did and truth was thrown to the ground. I think that's a pretty significant uh, thing to think about. So we have the Medo-Persian empire. He did whatever he pleased and now we're talking about the Greek empire, empire and Antiochus Epiphanes, and the phrase is, he threw truth to the ground. Um, history reveals, again, Antiochus opposed the worship of Yahweh. His persecution of the Jewish people was relentless. He defiled the Jewish temple by slaughtering a pig in the Holy of Holies. And then he set up an idol of himself in the Holy of Holies in Jerusalem in the temple. Um, There's a famous Jewish historian who wrote in the first century, and his name is Flavius Josephus, and he wrote a history of the Jewish people, and and one of the works that he wrote is called The War of the Jews, and I want to read um, just a quick uh, piece of that, thinking about, he's writing about what was happening with Antiochus Epiphanes in the fourth century. And he says, now Antiochus was not satisfied either with his unexpected taking the city, speaking of Jerusalem, or with its pillage, or with the great slaughter he had made there, but being overcome 
with his violent passions and remembering what he had suffered during the siege, he compelled the Jews to dissolve the laws of their country and to keep their infants uncircumcised and to sacrifice swine's flesh upon the altar against which they all opposed themselves. And the most opposed, the the people who were most opposed to what Antiochus was doing with the Jewish people, those who are most opposed were put to death. That's actually what took place. Now in Daniel's vision of this uh, happening, at the end of the chapter, it says that, uh, that Daniel was appalled by the vision. To think about a faithful a worshiper and follower of Yahweh, the one true God. We, we learned about this in Daniel 6, where even when the law came down that you're not allowed to pray to anyone um, except Darius uh, or Cyrus the king, um, that Daniel prayed three times. He opened his windows and he prayed toward Jerusalem. And so, so Daniel, he, he, he sees this vision of this happening and he is appalled by the vision. It was literally beyond his understanding to think about the sanctuary, the sanctuary of God, the holy of holies being desecrated. Um, and so God, uh, in his kindness, I believe, and in his mercy of, uh, and his love for Daniel in this vision, uh, he sees two angels and they're in dialogue about what was happening at the temple and the Jewish temple there. And so uh, Daniel uh, is appalled by this. He's overcome by it. And so he sees uh, these two angels. It's verses 13 and 14. Let me read this. It says, then I heard a holy one speaking, speaking of an angel. And then another holy one said to him, how long will it take for this vision to be fulfilled? Like how long will this go on? Will, will Antiochus Epiphanes, this diabolical forerunner of the Antichrist wreak so much havoc in Jerusalem and actually in the temple, even in the Holy of Holies? The vision concerning the daily sacrifice, the rebellion that causes desolation and the surrender of the sanctuary and the host, speaking of Jerusalem and Jewish people and the host that will be trampled underfoot. And he said to me, prophecy, here's prophecy. The angel said to Daniel, verse 14, it will take 2,300 evenings and mornings and then the sanctuary will be reconsecrated. Why is that significant? Why do I wanna spend time on that? Because I want your um, respect, your um, desire, your submission to the authority of God's word to grow this morning. I want you to find strength that God's promises are true and that what God says comes true because here's what happened in history. Antiochus, he defiled Israel for 2,300 days. He, it was 171 BC to 165 BC. Remember, this is all happening 400 years after Daniel's vision. Um, Do you know that there was a Jewish rebellion called the Maccabean Revolt? The Maccabee, it was led by a guy named Judas Maccabeus. And in 164 BC, Right around 2,300 days after Antiochus began to unleash his fury in Jerusalem, the temple in this revolt led by Judas Maccabeus, the temple in Jerusalem was rededicated. This warrior for God uh, rallied people. You can look at it in church history, the Maccabean revolt, and they rededicated and reconsecrated the temple. I look back 
uh, on history. I look at the Maccabean revolt. I look at the prophecy of Daniel in chapter eight, and I see the timelines and I see the fulfillment of God's prophecies. And it just, it just gives you guys, it gives me confidence to stand on the word of God, to believe the word of God, to teach the word of God and to encourage you to know the word of God and to submit to the word of God in your life. Everything that God says uh, will come true. God's word is true. Isaiah uh, chapter 40 says, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. One of the things that we talked about last week in, in, in a growing confidence in Scripture is that uh, there are over 900 prophecies about the second coming of Jesus, three times as many prophecies as we had about the first coming or the first advent of Jesus. And, 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 and those still are to be fulfilled. There are things in front of us that we, that we want to humbly, submissively uh, stand on in terms of our belief in what God says, because uh, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So that's the vision that Daniel had. And again, he was appalled by it. He, it was overwhelming to him. And so God sends him Gabriel. So what I wanna do uh, now is read um, Daniel 15, 26. So this is the interpretation of this vision, the ram and the goat and uh, the little horn that came up, uh, came down and unleashed its fury in Jerusalem. Here's the interpretation that Daniel receives from Gabriel. Verse 15, while I, Daniel, was watching the vision and trying to understand it, there before me stood one who looked like a man. And I heard a man's voice from the Ule, uh, that's the canal. I didn't talk about that, but that's the canal in Susa. Um, and it said this, Gabriel, tell this man the meaning of the vision. And as Gabriel came near the place I was standing, I was terrified and I fell prostrate. Son of man, he said to me, understand the vision concerns the time of the end. And while he was speaking to me, I was in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. And then he touched me. Gabriel touched Daniel and raised me to my feet. And he said, I'm gonna tell you what will happen later in the time of wrath. Because the vision concerns the appointed time of the end. The two-horned ram that you saw represents the kings of Media and Persia. And the shaggy goat is the king of Greece. And the large horn between his eyes is the first king, speaking of Alexander the Great. The four horns that replace the one that was broken off represent the four kingdoms that will emerge from this nation but will not have the same power. And the latter part of their region when rebels have become completely wicked, a stern-faced king, a master of intrigue will arise. This is speaking of Antiochus Epiphanes, the diabolical forerunner of the Antichrist. And he will cause out astounding, oh, let me, uh, verse 24, he will become very strong, but not by his own power. He will cause astounding devastation and will succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy the mighty men and the holy people. He will cause deceit to prosper and he will consider himself superior. And when they feel secure, he will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes. Yet he will be destroyed, but not by human power. The vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been given to you is 
true, but seal up the vision for it concerns the distant future. I, Daniel, was exhausted and lay ill for several days. Then I got up and went about the king's business. I was appalled by the vision. It was beyond uh, understanding. The ESV talks about this king that would arise. He calls the, uh, the king the king of bold face, this brazen, bold king, Antiochus Epiphanes. Uh, and his power did become great against the Jews. Uh, this Old Testament type of the Antichrist that we talked a lot about last week in Daniel 7 that will come in the time of the end. What I, what I love about this, uh, this interpretation um, is just the scene of what happens, thinking about how uh, concerned, about how anxious, about how, how fearful Daniel was in seeing all these things and the kindness and the mercy of God to send Gabriel to him. And then the, even the interaction between Daniel and Gabriel, I think, gives us great um, comfort, I believe, this morning. When we think about the ministry of angels, and we see this throughout the Bible, uh, one of the ministries of angels is to strengthen us, to strengthen the people of God when there is a need. When there is a need, angels come and strengthen us. Psalm 91 promises us that God's angels will bear you up, will, quote, bear you up. There's a promise of God that he sends angels to his people to bear us up. Psalm chapter 91. Jesus himself, I think this is something that we uh, maybe don't remember all the time when we think about the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus being in the Garden of Gethsemane um, the night before he was crucified, experienced on the eve of his crucifixion, he was, he was, um, he was so overwhelmed in his humanity about what was uh, about to come upon him. And this is something that um, I just need to be reminded of. I think sometimes we forget that this actually happened. Luke 22, Jesus knelt down and prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but your yours be done. In verse 43, and an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Angel, Gabriel comes to Daniel to strengthen him. In the Garden of Gethsemane, angel comes to Jesus to strengthen him. I think that's something for us to find strength in today uh, as well. Third point uh, from the interpretation is I want you to look closely with me again at verse 18. And I'm gonna start preaching here in just a minute. Uh, it says that Daniel while Gabriel was speaking, I was in a deep sleep and with my face to the ground. Uh, Daniel becomes very weak uh, in the presence of uh, Gabriel because of this vision. And his face was to the ground. I'm overwhelmed. I'm afraid. And my face is to the ground. And what does it say that Gabriel does at that place of need when, when Daniel is afraid, when he is weak and his face is to the ground, it says that Gabriel touched him. He put his hand on him, strengthening him. And then in, it says, uh, in the NIV, it says, and he raised me to my feet. I, I really love the ESV translation of this verse that says, he made me stand up. I didn't want to stand up. I was overwhelmed. I was afraid. Uh, I was, my face was to the ground. I just think about when we're going through hard times in our life and we're, we're, we're upset or we're afraid or we've been um, 
we, we, there's an uncertain future and we begin to uh, our posture, even if it's not this way, uh, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, our face is to the ground. We're not full of faith. We're not standing up. We're, we're wallowing. We are, we're, we're concerned. We're overwhelmed. Are you with me right now? And I just love this, this scene of Gabriel touching him. And it's, in the ESV, it says, he made me stand up. Stand up. It's the whole crux of this whole series. Daniel, stand up, stand out. And he made Daniel stand up. And I think it's hugely significant. And I'm praying that the Lord does the same thing for myself and you and all of us today in a fresh way. If you are in a season of deep slumber because times are hard and because people may be against you or you may have an uncertain future or you're afraid of the future. If your face is to the ground today, receive the touch of God and stand up, church. This dark and dying world is hungry, thirsty for the Jesus people to stand up in faith and to stand out in boldness, proclaiming the name of Jesus. I'm gonna start preaching right now. You guys ready for this? I'm gonna start preaching. And uh, I just, just so you know, I am okay with amens and hallelujahs in response. Just so we're clear, it's not gonna distract me at all. So if, that, if, you, if you resolve with something, then, then by all means, you know? Um, I'm not trying to stir you up in something, but I'm just saying if, if something gets preached and you, you wanna say something, Let's go. So here we go. The ram is described in verse four this way. He did whatever he pleased. The goat is described in verse 12 this way. Truth was thrown to the ground. In what ways do people today do whatever they want to do? I do what I please. I'm not under any, any, any authority in my life. I do whatever I wanna do. I do as I please. In what ways today do people throw truth to the ground? Maybe a more humble way to ask this question is not to say, why do people do as they please? And why do people throw truth to the ground? But maybe to, to have a, a deeper sense of humility to go, Lord, is there anything in me that does whatever I please? Why do I do what I please? Sometimes, Why do I throw truth to the ground and don't stand under the truth of your word? Um, I, I wanna say this to you at Two Rivers Church, when we come, when we come to God's word, when we, when we come together as God's people and we sit under uh, the authoritative word of God, we come to it in submission because it is the absolute truth in our life. And we believe at this church that the, the authority of God's word is the authority for our faith and for our lives. And so when we come to the word, there is, a, there is a sense of submission that I wanna lead us toward to trust this word and to come under this word to receive certainly all of its promises and all of its shalom and all of its peace and all of its hope and all that, but also its admonition, church. Also the rebuke that this gives us because it's all about freedom. Everything in this book is about freedom because this book is about Jesus. And the word says, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. 
free. And so when we come to the word in submission to the authority of the word, uh, even when it's not easy to hear, even when it comes against our flesh, even when it comes against the lies of the world, it's still for our freedom for us to have the word of God wash over us and admonish us and change us and transform us to be more and more and more conformed to the image of Jesus whom we worship and follow. We are the Jesus people. Our citizenship is not of this world. Our citizenship is in heaven. We are sojourners passing through. And Jesus said, know the truth, it'll set you free. And so our call, our call is to submit to the truth. His absolute truth is for freedom's sake in our lives. I think about Daniel 8, truth was thrown to the ground. It, made, uh, it reminded me of Paul's letter uh, to his son in the faith, Timothy. Uh, he knew he was at the end of his life. And so he writes the letter, 2 Timothy, to Timothy. It's, it's, a, it's the passing of the baton uh, from his apostolic ministry to his son in the faith. It's so personal. 2 Timothy is so personal. And this is in chapter two, he says to Timothy, he warns Timothy, listen, brother, do not participate in godless chatter and listening to false teaching that is spreading like gangrene in the world. Be careful because false teaching is spreading like gangrene in the world, causing some to wander away from the truth. Be careful, Timothy. Causing some to wander from the truth. This, it, this, is, this is not just true in Timothy's day. It's true today as well. And I think of this question. I was engaging with some guys that I spend a time with every week. Um, and I was asking them to engage with me on this topic. Like, why is the call? Why do you think the call to submit to God's absolutely truth can become so offensive, not just to people who don't believe in Jesus and follow Jesus and say they submit to the authority of God's word, but even people in the church. Like, what is it about the authority, the absolute truth of God's word uh, that, that causes people to wander away, that even causes people to feel offended by it? And these were some of the answers. Well, don't tell me what to do. Like, you don't get to tell me what to do. And I think that kind of reality, sometimes we come to the word, like, you don't, you don't get to tell me what to do. I do what I want to do. Like, somebody who uh, wants to help me see the back of my head, you know, like, wants to help me see something that um, I wasn't seeing before to, you know, the proverb says that a wound of a friend is better than the kiss of an enemy. And in love, they want to come and help me. It's like, you don't, you don't get to call me out. You don't get to admonish me. You don't get to do that in my life. Relationship with the word, like the word of God. Who, who are you? Who are you to tell me how to live my life? Right? Like it, it can become offensive when it comes against how, how we want to do as we please. And if it comes against how we want to do as we please, we, we we can be tempted, church, to throw truth to the, are y'all with me right now? To throw truth to the ground. Pride, selfish ambition turns an unbelieving world away from God's 
truth and his way. I am my own authority. I'll do what I please. And I want to say to you today, as a pastor of this church and two of our church, on behalf of our leadership team and behalf of our staff, uh, Lindsay and I, I want to say to you clearly, we are heeding, we are heeding the warnings that we receive in the scripture today. And we submit, we submit to this truth, church. And we want to lead you in the same. In the Bible, the word submit is to be understood as a choice that we make to submit ourselves, a choice we make based, uh, based in love, based in honor, based in trust. Uh, in Ephesians, uh, Paul writes to the church to uh, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Like there's this reality of choosing to love and honor and, and trust one another. And then we learn how to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What does that mean? Well, Jesus lived his, his life in submission to the Father. And so if we think about our relationship with God, uh, I want us to think about our relationship with God in, in terms of uh, that relationship, his, his revealed word to us is the scripture. And so as we, as we study this word, as we, as we come under this word that we choose to learn and, and study and trust and allow it to admonish us and change us and transform us, like that can grow, like love and trust uh, can grow as I think about um, my friends in our church and growing in mutual submission, like that, that grows over time as we spend time together and we learn each other's stories and we learn that we're for each other. Now, are, you, are you guys with me right now? We're not against each other. And so my submission, I'm looking at Coach Bradley right now. My submission to Coach Bradley has grown over the years as I've gotten to know Coach Bradley, right? Because we have a relationship. I think the same thing can happen as we come to the word. We, 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 we learn it. We, we, we understand that this is all about our freedom. And we learn and we grow in our submission to the word. And I'm exhorting us to do that uh, today. It's not always easy. Hear this. It's not always easy to submit to God's word. Um, especially when God's word comes against the lies of the world and the lies of our flesh. It's not always easy. Um, engaging with my brothers this week, uh, this statement uh, I wrote down is like, it's easy to, to submit to God's truth when it aligns with what I'm thinking and what I'm doing. But when, but when God's word doesn't align with what I'm thinking and what I am doing, do I submit to God's authoritative word or do I look for other truths? to tickle my itching ears and wander, as Paul told Timothy, and wander away from the truth. So I wanna invite you to an honest evaluation today as you think about your relationship with God's revealed word in your life. Are you seeking to fit God's truth into your box? Or are you seeking God's word to change and transform you to become more like Jesus Christ? Will I bend my life, will I bend my life to submit to God, to his word and to his way? Will I bend my life to submit to this word or will I bend the Bible to submit to my way? 
Am I bending my life to the word or am I bending the word to my life? What are you submitting to? What are you choosing? Are there other voices that you submit to? I'm calling us back to center today. I'm calling us to come to Jesus, to listen and to honor and to grow in his living word. This isn't a preacher looking at the church that God has called him to shepherd. And it's like, are you reading your Bible? You need to read your Bible more. That's not what, that's, this is not about legalism. This is not about checking a box. This is not about doing more so that you think God, that, that is, we spent 10 years trying to wreck that whole way of thinking. This is about you being rooted and centered that the word of God is an anchor for our souls. And that even when it admonishes us, it's for freedom's sake. This is about tasting and knowing that God is good. This is about joy and hope and peace and deliverance and life to our bones. My encouragement, my exhortation, grow in submission to the absolute authority of God's word, that we would be men and women, young men and young women of the word, an anchor an anchor in our lives, God's revelation of himself, the word of God. Jesus said these words in Matthew 24. He was speaking about the end times. And we're in the end times, by the way. From the moment that Jesus ascended to heaven in Acts chapter one to the moment he, he comes in Revelation 19 on the white horse, that window is the end times. And we are in the end times And Jesus, speaking about the times that we're living in right now, in Matthew 24 said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. 100%, I believe, like all of my faith, all of my cards are on this table. 100% of God's promises are true. And 100% of God's prophecies will come true. Jesus is coming back to this earth. So Paul gives the warning to Timothy in chapter two. Like, be careful. Don't get caught up in godless chatter and false teaching. It's spreading like gangrene and many are wandering from the truth. They're wandering away from the truth. In verse 19, just two verses later, after the warning, he says, God's solid foundation stands firm. He actually says, nevertheless, I know people are are wandering away from the truth. I know that they're not living in submission to the authority of God's word. Nevertheless, Timothy, know this, young man, God's solid foundation stands firm. Second Timothy chapter four, I'm gonna close with this. Uh, Last, um, I guess it was Sunday or Monday, um, Lindsay just sends me this text. And it's this verse. And I was like, what, what, what's that from? She goes, I just felt like the Lord uh, needed to, me to share this with you. It's just a verse that I just felt like a dis- sense of discernment that you needed to get this. And this was before I started prepping Daniel 8. And then I'm studying Daniel chapter 8 and that phrase, they threw truth to the ground. And I thought, oh, that's why the Lord gave Lindsay this this passage as for me and for us uh, this morning. Um, it's also from um, Timothy. 
or from Paul to Timothy. Um, This is the admonition to Timothy, and I believe the admonition to us this morning as we think about these things. The time will come, 2 Timothy 4, 3 to 5, the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, remember verse 4, that he did whatever he pleased, Instead, to suit their own desire, to, to suit whatever they wanted, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Like, I'm going to find people, I'm going to find voices, I'm going to find truth that aligns with what I want and what I think. And I'm going I'm to gather them around. This is, this is Paul to Timothy And they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And they will turn their ears away from truth. And then he says to Timothy, and I I am receiving this um, in my own life, and I want to declare it to you. So when I say this, I want to say this, but you, plural, you, Two Rivers Church, us, but you, Paul says, Keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the word. Lord, we wanna be a people that is thirsty for your spirit, Lord, and hungry for your word. Not hungry for your word, Lord, in a way that we want to bend the word to suit our desires, Lord, but we wanna, we wanna submit our desires, Lord, to your authoritative word. Um, Jesus, we follow you here. We submit to you here. We submit to your living and active and holy word. Lord, help us see in any way in our lives, my life, anyone's life, where we are doing as we please, where we are casting truth aside and we are wandering away. Lord, give us eyes to see, to come back to you, Lord. And help us grow in our relationship in the word so that we would come to the word for freedom's sake for hope and peace and joy, even the admonition peace, Lord, that we would trust you to the degree that we allow the word to wash over us and change us to become more like you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.